This is the Critical Conversations podcast, a KPOV special project developed to feature unique perspectives and the courage it takes to go there, challenge mundane thought, and question the norm. Joining me now is Dr. Elena Lister. Uh, she's a psychologist. Um, she's the author of the new book, her and her husband, is, as I should say, Giving Hope. Um, conversations with children about illness, death, and loss. This interview with her was has been on schedule for a week or two, and the timing, you know, especially after Sunday, that we all um, have all been impacted from the tragic happening at Safeway on 27th and Highway 20. Um, you know, I think we can all share in. You know, when did you first hear about? It? You know, it's kind of like 9/11. Where were you? when that happened. So where were you when this happened? I can tell you I was in my backyard with our pup, Bodie, trying to get him to do his business. Um, and I heard all of the shots, the rapid fire, all of it. It was like, holy heck. And um, asked my husband, did you hear this? He was in the house. He didn't hear the shots. And next thing I know, here comes the sirens. And I jumped on social media. Is anybody posting anything? And then, then to find out after the fact what those shots what those were all about. Um, absolutely sickening. Um, I think about the people I know we all do that were that lost their lives. Um, people that escape people, the employees, the, the staff, the shoppers, the people just our community. I don't know. It's uh, very traumatic. And um, the community has come together. And that's one thing about Ben, we are Ben strong, and we will continue to be Ben strong. And we're going to continue to heal from this. And we have tons of questions, we have anger, we have all kinds of emotion, and everything's okay to have all those feelings. You can have multiple feelings at one time. And, um, you know, we always want to know why, you know, someone dies by suicide, somebody's in a car accident, somebody, um, all the things, we always want to know why, why did this happen, things that we can't explain. And I don't know if we'll ever get that answer. And sometimes we have to be okay with that. But there's some things that we can we as a community can do, we as individuals can do to maybe hopefully prevent, um, I don't even know if that's even possible. Human behavior is not something that we can necessarily predict. And um, But KPOV, we have been posting all kinds of resources for people for, um, for assistance. Um, just everybody's sending out heartfelt condolences and love and if you need somebody, you need to talk, you need to do something, please reach out. Whether you reach out to KPOV, reach out to your neighbor, whomever it is, um, don't go it alone. But uh, as I said, Dr. Elaine Lister, she joins us. And I asked her, could you give us some advice? I told her what happened here and if she could share some advice for us going forward, especially as our kids are returning to school. And I know parents, um, this is unsettling. It's unsettling for all of us. Um, regardless of whether you have children in school or not. Um, my heart goes out to all of it. I have adult kids, so that is not something that is in our arena at this point, but um, I know if it was, um, my heart and empathy and compassion um, goes out to all of you. But Dr. Lister is here, like I said, to talk about her book, her story, which is very traumatic, and, um, and helping us with our trauma. Dr. Sure. Elena Lister, it's it's such a pleasure to speak with you. You're joining us today to talk about your book. You and Dr. Michael Schwartzman have written this book, The Facts of Death, How to Speak with Children About Loss and Illness. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the book, Giving Hope. I mean, I can't, this conversation is so timely, especially for our community here in Bend with a recent incident that has happened, a pretty traumatic 
tragedy that's happened here that's new for mm-hmm. us. But again, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us today. Oh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk with you. And I'm sad with you and your community about what I have just heard happened. Wow. Yeah, it's... Um, You know, people, I've heard comments on social media saying, been to such a sweet, quiet little place. And and that's kind of, in my response as well, clearly not anymore. You know, that's a loss on another level. Yeah. Just, you know, out of anger, out of frustration, out of all of that Mm -hmm. moving forward. But like I said, the timeliness of this conversation and talking with you, Again, your book, Giving mm-hmm. Hope, Conversations with Children About Illness, Death, and Loss. You know, this uh, us adults, we need this as well. Tell us about the book, Giving Hope, because this is very personal to you as well with your own loss. Yeah, thank you, Don. Yeah, so um, about 25 years ago, so this age is me for everybody, um, I was the parent of two little girls with my husband. Uh, they were four and seven, and our four-year-old was diagnosed with leukemia the very curable kind, and uh, she died two years later when she was just uh, 12 days past turning six years old and her sister was nine. And during that experience, we um, found together as a family that talking open, talking honestly, having our hearts out there, being vulnerable with all the feelings that this stirred for all of us helped us get through. And we drew much closer as a family. And my daughter, who was nine at the time, um, who I think it's fair to say, I can say, has recently become a mom herself, um, has um, experienced a level of pain that you never want your child to have to have. And same with my daughter who died, who knew that she was dying and who faced it with us all together, honestly and openly. But at that time, there were not professionals who could talk with us. And uh, my husband and I are both psychiatrists, and we wanted to talk this out. Uh, We had never faced this before. With all our training, we had not been taught how to handle this, and we wanted guidance, and we couldn't find it. And fortunately, um, the girls' school allowed us to come into the school and work with my older daughter's class and talk about what was happening at our home because we didn't want the children to be scared of our daughter or to not know how to be with her, to have questions that they didn't know where to go to with. And we explained all that to the parents in the class as well. And that is the opening story of the book, our going to uh, the girls' school, because in that experience, we sat with a room full of 103rd graders and discovered that they were curious. They were interested. They were empathic. They wanted to talk about this. And they all had stories of their own facing losses, people who had died in their lives, injuries they had had, illnesses that they knew about. And it showed me just how much children can talk about this. And uh, since people were not talking to us, I decided to spend the rest of my life work helping other people face these kinds of life challenges, illness in the family, dying, terminal illness, death from all causes, not just illness, and also just the concept of death itself, helping young children process the fact that things die, that death is inevitable, it's a part of life. So in all those years of working, I worked with uh, people in my practice and therapy. I consulted at schools and organizations. I taught medical students and residents and faculty about how to talk with children about 
these kinds of things. And I still do that. That is what I do all day, every day. And um, I am privileged to hear the stories of people, you know, facing great pain in their life and um, being able to be on the journey with them in the hope of having them not feel emotionally alone. And lastly, the book grew out of the fact that I couldn't find material that I felt guided me and I wanted to create it and offer it. Our approaches is very much about understanding who the child is that you're talking with, understanding yourself as you talk with a child about these difficult things, and paving the way for a connection with a child in which you can talk about anything, not just these things, but anything, all the tough stuff in life and all the happy stuff also. First of all, I want to say I'm so sorry for your loss. I Thank you. That is, um, it just it just hurts my heart reading and reading Aww. in the book and just hearing what that was like, but also the bravery and courage to be able to talk to it. And then, of course, going into your daughter's third grade class and talking to all those children about it. What an amazing opportunity and growth and life lesson for everybody in that moment. Thank you, Dawn. Thank you. I am so grateful to their school for allowing this because it was, you know, decades ago. And if we don't talk about it easily now, then we didn't even talk about it at all. So, yes, it was an opportunity. And I want to emphasize those children were not traumatized by the conversation. They were warm and kind to my my older daughter after that, who was nine. They uh, talked to their parents about what we had talked about. They were not filled with fear or uh, scared about being with us or with my daughter. So, again, it just reinforces that we want to protect our children from any of the pain and suffering in life. I I still feel that way, but we can't. And since we can't, I'd rather we be able to be with our children about it and leave them alone, sorting it all out on their own. Well, there's so much that kids are exposed to today. I think social media has definitely contributed to that. Everything is on a handheld device, on a screen, on a whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the, the death toll of COVID. We, the school shootings, our own tragedy we just experienced here in Bend on Sunday. The war, yeah. you know, our own illnesses within our own families and loss of family yeah. or friends. And having that conversation is so important. But sometimes as adults, we weren't necessarily talk to about these things growing mm-hmm. up and, and sometimes I feel like it's and I've, I mean I can say this for myself having some of those life conversations with my children it, it was more I was uncomfortable the kids were easy to receive it sometimes <laughs> it, you know it just kind of was like oh okay and then they would go on mm-hmm. playing <laughs> and there might mm-hmm. be questions later but I was the one that really had the issue trying Mm -hmm. to, I want to do it right and I don't want to traumatize and I want to make sure, you know, but then at the same time, my own comfort level was a challenge. What's your advice to parents that feel that way? Oh, Dawn, so wonderful that you were so reflective about this in yourself. And it is really step one from our perspective, which is that first and foremost, um, check in with yourself. I think we call it know yourself. We have kind of best practices that are guidelines, that, and, and then we fill out a lot more about what those mean. But this one is about understanding your own connection to loss, how many losses that you've had in your life, did you grieve, what were they like, who talked about it with you or didn't talk about it with you, how did, what are your own thoughts about death, why people die, what happens after they die, 
all of that is not easy. And we have some questions that one can ask oneself, in addition to the ones I've just mentioned, in an effort to sort of help you sort all that out in your own head. Because if you can, and if you do, and it may sound like it's years of work, but it really isn't. I mean, you can do some of this if you have to on the fly in five minutes just to sort of sit down and say, okay, what are my reactions to what's going on right now? I need to know those so that when I'm being with a child about them, I'm steady, I'm sturdy, and I can listen to them as opposed to be overcome by my own noise. However, however, this is a process. None of these conversations are one conversation. They're a conversation you start and then they evolve. You have another one two hours later, two days later, two weeks later, two years later, 10 years later. But what you're doing is sort of opening the door to a connection about these kinds of difficult things. And if you don't get it right, none of us gets it right all the time. Children have the most wonderful ability to ask us questions just when we're least prepared. And you get that like deer in the headlights moment or right when you're turning up the light to say goodnight. They ask a question that is so intense and sometimes you just don't feel prepared to answer. And there are two things about that. One is that you can always say, you know, I really I want to answer that question and I also want to give it some thought before I do. So why don't we talk about that after lunch, Um, whatever, specify a time. And then, of course, you have to follow up and talk about it at that time. Um, So it's not a like deferral, you know, get it off the, the radar. It's just giving you an opportunity to gather yourself about it. And the other thing is if you mess it up in your own opinion, we have some stories from people who felt they did, you can always go back and revisit it and say to a child, you know, I explained this in this way, but I actually, I don't think I did a good job with that. And I, I'd like to like think about it with you again. What you do with a child when you do that is demonstrate that we all can reflect on what we think and feel and what our impact is on other people, that we can make mistakes, that we can acknowledge them and that we can do something about them. I just think that's a great model for children in general, not even just about this. Circling back, first and foremost, giving yourself that time to understand what is freaking me out about this. You know, what am I most afraid of? What am I most sad of? How do I get my bearings? Where am I support? And what can I do to calm myself if you're not feeling calm? Well, and being vulnerable and allowing yourself to ask for help and seek help. Your book, Giving Hope, is certainly a wonderful resource. Family physicians, other mental health practitioners, family and friends as well. Realizing that, you know, I don't know if I'm equipped emotionally to take this on. My most valuable possession right here in front of me, my child, I'm, you know, yeah. this world is, is not, it's a different world. And how do I protect this commodity of mine when I feel so vulnerable that I feel helpless to be able to protect them? You know, there's just mm. so conflicted, um, but it's also very valid and real. Right. I think the thing is that I don't think the protection comes from shielding them from things. I think the protection comes from being in things with them and helping them see that we get through hard stuff 
And when the child learns that they can face hard stuff and get through it, difficult though it is, I don't mean fly through it, I mean have a hard time with it, but get through it, they feel stronger. So the protection really comes from helping the child discover that they have resources inside themselves that they may not have known they had. And as for myself, if you had asked me two years before my daughter got ill, a year before, a day before we got her diagnosis, could you imagine having conversations about her dying with your five-and-a-half-year-old child? I would have said no. But, you know, you do what you have to when the time calls upon you to do it, and especially as a parent. And so just understanding that getting through hard stuff teaches us that we can get through hard stuff, and most importantly, Ideally, we don't have to do it alone. In the book, in the prologue, where you're telling your story about your daughter and talking to those third graders, is that the children, you had several thoughts, is that they can handle the truth on subjects that adults think are off limits. They want to Mm -hmm. hear the truth. They're curious, even if fearful around the subject of death, and having their questions validated and answered honestly creates trust. And I think in addition to that, I remember with my kids when I shared when my, my father passed away is telling him this is what happened. And then it was, so how do you feel? Like, what do you think about that? And mm. and at the time, the Titanic was out. My son was obsessed with it. <laughs> he was in kindergarten. Ah. And I said, mm. and he happened to be watching it. So I interrupted his movie to share this, mm. my father's passing. And I said, ah, how do you okay. feel about this? Like, what, you know, do you... Like, are you receiving what I'm saying? <laughs> Help me out here. Yes, right. And yeah. he, he, he just said... It's very, it's sad, but it's not as sad as the Titanic. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that he said that. And it was like, wow, it kind of sat me back on my heels a little bit. And it was, you know, out of the mouths of babes, you know, as they say. I to say, yes, wise perspective. Wow. So these these yeah. children of ours, they're very perceptive. Mm. They really educate us in a lot of ways as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. And that brings me to something else, which is that if we don't talk with our children about that, we're not protecting them in two ways. One, they're hearing about it in the world anyway, as you have alluded to. I, I sometimes think of nowadays that we're living in sort of soup of mortality. There's just so much about loss, so many losses that um, we've experienced as a country, as a world in recent time that are easily accessible because of the Internet, because of everybody talking about it. And then also that there's a way to sort of, if you don't talk with them about it, they are going to see that you're upset. So let's say you would decide not to tell your from the sad news that your father had died because you didn't want to upset him just yet. He was watching a movie. You didn't want to bother him. And then he sees you cheerful or very sad looking or hears, overhears you on the phone talking to another relative about what's happening and making plans. And then he's getting the message, but without you having the chance to set it up so that you can be available to him. So we don't save our children from the pain of things by not coming to it. Uh, to them with it because they sense it in us, even if we don't talk about it, as you were saying, because they're so perceptive. You know, and I shared with you prior to our interview, just the tragedy that happened here in our town on Sunday, the shooting. Yeah. Allegedly there, it was reported or seen on social media that the shooter had intended to do this, uh, this carnage as, as I'll call it on the first day of school at his 
previous high school. And mm. as you know, mm. parents, it's it's totally reasonable. And I, I can't even imagine I have adult children now, but what parents are, are, are just scared to death, fearful, mm-hmm. the anxiety about sending their kids to school for copycat reasons for it, which I, I, how do we process that? What do we as parents do? What do we, how do we talk with our kids? What how do we navigate mm-hmm. this? This It's a very tricky dance, as we said earlier. Mm-hmm. What's your advice? Yeah, well, first of all, my heart goes out to you and your community. Now, these things are just tragic, and they are hard to understand. They're hard to make sense out of. So that's the premise we start from. They're terribly sad, and they're hard to make sense out of. But we have an obligation as adults in a child's world to create some sense of safety even in what's essentially an unsafe world. Partly, you know, we all go around with a little bit of denial. If we all thought about all the things that could go wrong in the course of the day, we'd never leave our couch. Although even on the couch, things can go wrong. So one of the things we generally do is just sort of allow ourselves adaptively to not really think about all the terrible things that can happen. And then something like this happens, and it breaks through that denial, and it shows us that we were less safe than we were actually aware of the thinking we were. And that's really unsettling. And so one thing is just to address within oneself that there are things that you can't control. And that's a hard lesson because we all want to, you know, wrap our children in bubble wrap and never have anything happen to them. But we can't do that. That's just not the world. One thing is, you know, yes, you're going to be anxious. You're going to be fearful. It's not doesn't make sense to deny it, but what you do is concretely see, how can I create safety? What are the safety measures that are present in my child's school that I can know about and then I can tell my child to know about that will offer some measure of protection? You're not guaranteeing, because you can't, that bad and sad things won't happen, but there are things in place to help prevent them and minimize them when they do occur. So that's one thing. And so it's basically acknowledging a reality, but not helplessly acknowledging a reality with a sense of what we do about this. And then the second thing is for yourself and with a youngster to look to, back to Mr. Rogers, who are the helpers? Because in every horrible scene, Every tragic loss, there are people who are trying to help. There are medical workers, there are police workers, there are people stepping up, citizens just stepping up to try to help. And so we allow a child to see that even in the setting of something that is really sad and hard and scary and and angry, angry making also, that there are good people too. So it's just sort of broadening the lens. Yes, this thing happened in your community and it's and it's awful. And also, I imagine a lot of people have been stepping up to try to help each other. And that that's what we also have to be able to see. I think you go over with a child, you know, what would make you feel safe, talk with them about what their worries are, address what you can address, and know that we have to keep living. You can't have your child not go to school. Fortunately, these things are not, at least so far, every day. And as you were saying in Ben, that they're a rarity. So we know that the odds are with us that this kind of thing will not happen again. That's not a guarantee, but it's a soft comfort 
And so I think and then the other thing is that we gather together. We carry the pain of it together. So you're upset about this. I'm sure your neighbors, your friends, the other people at school are upset about it. You're all upset together. And my 98-year-old mother-in-law who died recently, beloved member of our family, used to say, pain shared 